Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And this week, my guest is Jamie Farr. That's right, Corporal Klinger on MASH. Now, as you know, I worked on MASH for four years with Jamie and also another two years with Jamie on After MASH. And yes, we will be talking about that too. But primarily, we're going to be talking a lot about MASH, how Jamie got his job in the first place, which is kind of an interesting story, uh, life on the set doing some special episodes, including Point of View, the one that David Isaacs and I wrote. Uh, also, we'll talk a lot about the final episode of MASH, which became a major national event. This week on Hollywood and Levine, Jamie Farr. Well, you actually served in Korea, didn't you? I did indeed. I got shipped overseas through Fort Lewis, Washington, and I wound up in uh, stationed in Japan and in Korea. Uh, Japan, I was with the Armed Forces uh, Radio, and uh, so I, uh, I had nice duty there, but I had temporary duty several times in Korea. Uh, once to open... Uh, Armed Forces Television in Korea, which was in the dead of winter, and all the jeeps and tanks and everything were frozen by the wayside. And uh, we we were supposed to just fly in our, our group. We had some civilians. Ours was a tri-service unit in, at, with Armed Forces Radio there in uh, Asakamachi, Far East Network. And we couldn't get out because it was just too cold. So we had to sleep where in, in the area where they had the luggage. And there was a little pot-bellied stove there. And we kept our uniforms, you know, on and our clothing on to keep warm. And the next morning they said, okay, we think it's time to take off. You can take off now. And we started. It was a DC-3 and a, a major uh, strategic commander. Uh, was the pilot. We just had one pilot. We all got on the airplane. It was a paratrooper's airplane, so there were no seats. There were just benches on the side, mm -hmm. corrugated metal on the floor, and, and little pads to sit That's on. That's pretty much Delta Airlines now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any of them, to be, any airline at this point. And that's first class. Yeah. So at any rate, uh, we took off, and we we're at, at going across the Sea of Japan to get back to, uh, uh, to uh, Japan, to Tachikawa Air Base there, and the engines start to freeze. And we're at the point of no return. That's a two-engine DC-3. 
and we're starting to lose altitude in the, and he's trying to start the engines and uh, they started giving us parachutes to jump out. Wow. Now, first of all, if you jump out and it's that cold, you get hypothermia, you'll die, you know, in the, in the thing, uh, in the, in the water right. like that. And so, uh, everybody turned ashen, even the people that were with Air Force, because they had never jumped out of a, an airplane. Right. And all we kept doing is I kept looking out over it and I said, oh my gosh, this is like a John Wayne movie. You know, I'll never come back. I, 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 there won't be residuals in my life. There won't be <laughs> TV shows or anything. And, and uh, what happened is we kept dropping the altitude. And as we dropped, the ice would come off the wing. And, and he would keep starting that engine. Ping, you know, ping, and he's saying, please, God, make that thing turn over. And, of course, they, they uh, pump alcohol also into the wings to de-ice it. And finally, we were just like about... 200 feet above the water when all of a sudden the, the engine started up and we, uh, we, we managed to take off. But that was one of the scariest moments I ever had in my life. I'm sure you must have thought of that when, uh, you know, the Henry Blake oh, situation yeah. Oh, yeah. and you learned that, you know, his plane, you know, crashed right. in, the, in the Sea of Japan. Yeah, no question about that. That, uh, that was the one time uh, that uh, we were over there. And then the other time is when Red Skelton asked uh, me to join him from the State Department. I was just a private there in, uh, in Asakamachi, in the, uh, just outside of Tokyo, Japan, to entertain the troops. Because I had worked with him before I had gone into the service. He was like my mentor. And, uh, and so I got VIP status. We flew over in a United Nations airplane. And we uh, entertained the troops at little camps, not like Bob Hope did with the big TV cameras. Uh-huh. And, and uh, well, you didn't have Elky Summers. No, uh, no, yeah. Elky wasn't there. It was just <laughs> it was just Red me and that uh, Italian fedora hat that he had that he used to wear and use for all different kinds of things. And we all we went all the way up to the DMZ, so we were at the 38th parallel. And the interesting thing is that the North Koreans had the high ground there. So what the uh, the GIs did is they built latrines. <laughs> so they were all looking at <laughs> the latrines. Of course, I wouldn't want to be in the latrine if they decided to attack you know, right. at that time. But at least that was what they did to... Uh, to uh, not make it comfortable for the North Koreans to look down upon. Well, so before MASH, uh, you worked with Red Skelton. You worked on a lot of shows and checking your IMDb. There were a lot of things where you were delivery guy and and stuff like that. That was just, (laughs) as a matter of fact, if you watch MeTV, not only do they have MASH on there, but they have... They have my whole history. <laughs> You're like Get Smart. You're like all those shows. I, I, huh? I, I, yeah. Joy and I were in New York one time, and I, uh, I, I went into... I was doing Broadway at that time, and we went into this uh, 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 tape DVD place. I, I forgot the, the name of it. And I said, you know, my first movie was Blackboard Jungle. He says, we have that. And he says, Mr. Farr. That's a good movie. You're, Mr. Farr, you're in the nostalgia section. So <laughs> that's my life, uh, nostalgia on, uh, on me TV. The Love Boats, the Get Smart. The, uh, I did Lucy. I did Andy Griffith. I, I did all of those shows. Uh, and uh, actually, uh, I had a wonderful agent, uh, a wonderful name also, Meyer Mishkin. Wonderful agent. <laughs> At any rate, uh, he this I haven't told this story before, but when uh, Wild Wild West was uh, was they're going to do the pilot uh, because of uh, oh shoot uh, Jim West, uh, you know Robert Conrad. Robert Conrad. Mm-hmm. He was short, 
And so for the the part that Ross Martin played, they were thinking about getting somebody the same size in that. And I was actually up for that uh, for that role. That uh, Ross did a great job. I, I worked with Ross in some shows. I, I worked with everybody in some show <laughs> or another. Uh, but I was up for that. And then I also was up for, which I haven't told the story, was I actually up for Maynard in Dobie Gillis. Really? Uh, yeah, Bob Denver uh, uh, got. And then uh, my career was taken off. I mean, I was in great shape until I got out of the Army. And then nobody would hire me. <laughs> I, Welcome to Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. So well, what have you done lately? Yeah. You know? I said, well, I was, you know, carrying a rifle. And <laughs> saving your bacon here and, and that. But, uh, yeah, it was, that's when Red said, hey, I was going to quit the business. And he said, you're not quitting. And he put me under personal contract. He, my dad had just passed away, and I was going to have to go home and support my mother because we didn't have any money. And he said, no, no, he whipped out some $100 bills. He said, here, take them, and you send them home to your mom. And he says, I'll see you up at the house at, in Bel Air. And you're working for me. And so uh, I was under contract uh, to him for a whole year. Not only did his TV show, uh, many times worked with Peter Laurie and Errol Flynn, George Raft, Boris Karloff, Jane Mansfield, uh, trying to think of all of the uh, other ones, uh, Fabian, uh, Bobby Rydell. <laughs> you name all of the ones that uh, would be guests at that particular time and in my career, that would be 1959, and I also went with him and introduced him. Uh, we, we played the Sands Hotel in Las Vegas, uh, Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami Beach, the Shea Perea in Chicago with the boys, uh-huh. you know, yeah, and, uh, and a uh, Moulin Rouge here in L.A. It was a wonderful experience, and he was as a, a second father to me. He was just absolutely uh, wonderful. So, 1972, MASH goes on the air, yeah. and the fourth episode is Chief Surgeon Who. Yes. And they're looking for a guy to play a corpsman who is trying to get out of the Army by getting a Section 8. And uh, talking to Larry Gelbart, because I said, where did you come up with that? And he said, Lenny Bruce did something like that where he wore a Waves uniform. He was to- in the Coast Guard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And uh, talk a little bit about that audition and that first episode. audition for that ah, part. I'll they just you. gave it to you, huh? I'll tell you how that happened. Uh, I, I, I was having a rough time of it at that time. I've had ups and downs in this business. I was always being discovered or something was happening, and then it would uh, peter out and nothing would happen. And so at that particular time, a buddy and I, were, we were trying to create some game shows and do some writing, and I got this phone call uh, from uh, uh, the agency. Not, well, it wasn't Meyer, Michigan. <laughs> it was <laughs> Lou Deucer. <laughs> and uh, uh, I had done a uh, uh, F Troop. Uh, for High Averback, and I played a stand-up comic Indian. They had taken all the Henny Youngman's jokes, uh-huh. and they had taken all the Milton Berle's jokes and made them Indian jokes. So the chief of the Hakawi tribe uh, has, is auditioning me, you know, for their big event. And Gene Reynolds was the director of the show. And so I, he got a kick out of all the stuff that I was doing, and it was very, very funny. And, of course, the, the punchline, Artie Julian wrote the, Arthur Julian wrote the, uh, the script, 
And uh, the, the punchline is after I'd auditioned as the, uh, as the comedian for the Hakawi tribe, was, uh, he, he says, the chief says, uh, well, look, at, uh, look don't, don't smoke signal us. We'll smoke signal you, you know. <laughs> that was the punchline. Well, Gene, whenever he liked an actor or an actress, he had a little book, a little black book, and he'd write the names down of people. And uh, I get this phone call, and it says, hey, uh, there's a show called MASH. It's off of that movie. And I said, geez, I haven't seen the movie, but I heard about it. He said, there's a part in it for you. And Gene Reynolds is, is directing and, or is producing the show, show, excuse me. And he says, they, they want you to come out. It pays $250 for the day. And I said, well, what's the part? He says, well, th- they'll tell you when, when they see you. I said, okay, great. Hey, listen, you know, I had to pay my rent. Joy and I were, uh, you know, only been married for about eight or nine years. And, and I'd been up and down with all kinds of jobs here and there. And we were striving to, to pay our rent and put food on the table. So I didn't care. I said, great, I'll, I'll show up. And I came in and I, uh, I, I met Gene and he took me into this trailer and uh, I said, well, what's the part? He says, uh, well, uh, he says, you see that? I said, yeah. I said, that's a wax outfit and uh, high heels. He says, I said, what am I dressing with a uh, actress here in the dressing room? She says, no, that's yours. <laughs> I said, what do you mean mine? He says, yeah, put them on. This is a car-. I said, well, what the part? He says, you'll see, you'll find out. So they had the correct sizes or whatever it was. I had the, the high heels on and the, my hairy bowed legs and that. And he takes me by the hand and he takes me on to stage nine. And it was uh, E.W. Swackhammer that was the director of this particular... What a great name that is. I know. Yeah. I'd worked for him at Screen Gems, but <laughs> yeah, he was working the, the, the episode, The Chief Surgeon Who. Well, Alan and everybody started breaking up. Everybody was laughing, crafts and services and that. And I had no idea yet what I was supposed to say. And they finally handed me the script, and I was looking at it, and he says, well, these guys trying to get out of the, the, uh, the service and, and that. And and uh, then Gene and Larry left, Larry Galbart left, and Swackhammer was in charge now. And I said, I, how do you want me to play? He says, and he had me playing it uh, as, as a homosexual. He had me uh, lisping and saying, you know, right. all who goes there, mm-hmm. et cetera, and that. And I did what he told me to do, I mean, you know, $250. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I did it, and... Uh, and then I get this phone call the next day, and my agent says, Jamie, uh, do you mind going back? They want to reshoot the scenes that you did. And I go, oh, my goodness, I felt so badly. I, I let Gene down. I mean, what did I do wrong? I did what the director had asked me to do. And they said that they'll pay another $250, but uh, they're going to have to reshoot it. So I came in, and... Gene and Larry were there, and they said, well, listen, we can't do it that way. That, that won't work. Uh, you know, we can't sustain it. He's, he's not getting out of the Army because he, 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 he's uh, a homosexual he, or attempting to be. He's getting out of the Army because he wants them to think they're crazy. He's crazy, and that's how he's going to do it. So how would you play it? And I said, well, now I'm desperate. I want to you know, keep the right, part. <laughs> right. And uh, I said, well, I play it straight. 
you know, uh, instead of let, uh, he makes comments about himself, let the other people make comments about him, give him a cigar, and just let him talk straight, you know? And that's what he, that's his dress of the day. It was a great decision, Jamie. Yeah. (laughs) You don't think I stay up nice praying saying, yes, it is. It was a great decision. I said, okay, try it that way. So that's what I did. I just came on, played it absolutely straight and uh, didn't make no, no reference to the outfits or anything else. And that first year they called me back, I think six times. Uh, And then when the show got picked up the second year, I did, uh, I, I think they did 22 shows. I think I did half of them, 11. And then in the third year is when they, uh, they put me under contract, which I was so grateful for. And, and uh, as, as I know, you, you know, you're pretty <laughs> grateful. We both are for oh, being sure. a, such an iconic show with, with such wonderful leaders like uh, Gene and Larry and, and Bert. And I mean, you know, it's your coach. It's the, the way they develop the show. And uh, they certainly, now I watched the first few, I watched the first year and they hadn't quite got the formula. No, they were still learning it and yeah, they were still experimenting. Once they got that formula, boy, I got to tell you, it worked so well. I I watch the shows now and I, I marvel at how wonderful the scripting was and that includes you as well and David, your partner, David Isaacs and the producing that you did. The, the balance of the show, I mean, you could have a, a A plot, which was very serious, and the B plot would be absolutely burlesque and silly and whatever it was, or you'd switch it. The A plot would be something silly, and the B plot would be something that was very serious. I, I, I can't believe the, the composition, the balance of, of that show, because you watch a lot of shows today, and they don't have that. You know, either it's all silly or uh, they, it's all something that's very serious. Uh, yeah, dramedies that aren't funny. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. So Larry Gelbar left after the fourth season, and Gene left after the fifth season, mm-hmm. and Gene continued to consult, but then idiots like me and David came along. Uh, let me ask you, was the cast nervous? It's like, oh, my God, who are these people? No, you know why? I tell you why I don't think we were nervous is because, uh, you know, Jay Fulb was with us, a uh, wonderful writer and script consultant. Larry Marks was with us uh, when, with uh, Larry Gelbart and everything. So when they, when they started to leave, that's when we got nervous at the beginning. But we found that the show... Didn't, didn't lose what it had, was getting better in some ways. And uh, I, I, never, I was never fearful uh, after that. I was fearful when Larry Gelbart and Gene left. Then, of course, and then Bert uh, took over. And, uh, Bert Metcalf. Yes, Bert yeah. Metcalf. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I should mention his full name. Yeah, Bert took over. And then the people that he brought, he mentored and, and kept the, the, the Larry Gelbart, Gene Reynolds, uh, 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 legacy, you know, with the show. Uh, so no, we weren't. Uh, I wasn't frightened with uh, with a Ken Levine and a David Isaacs or a John Rappaport or a Dan Wilcox and a Thad Mumford or something because the show had settled, had got and got that formula, 
and the way you you looked at it you 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 just made the shows better i mean they, everybody keeps saying that they this is why he's my guest by the way <laughs> <laughs> well i'm honored to to be your guest believe me Ken. i have to say that for me and david you were our favorite character to write for because number 1 you were an everyman and number 2 you had the strongest drive and it's so good to have a character who not only wants something but does something about it i mean everybody in the 4077 wanted out but your character was the only one who was actively doing something about it and it made writing for you very very easy well i appreciate it i I watched some of the shows, some of the things they did, I was, I was very pleased with, and some things I wasn't pleased with. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, to try to take some of the bizarre things that they did and try to make it believable was very difficult at, at some points because he was almost a cartoon character. Right. You never complained, though. I don't ever remember you complaining about a script. I never complained about any of the things I am to this day I will look back and tell you I am what uh, Gary Cooper said in Pride of the Yankees as who carried. I'm one of the luckiest men on the <laughs> face of the earth to be with a show like that. And my job was to try to make whatever it was uh, uh, work. And, uh, you know, sometimes you go, how the, how the heck do I do this? <laughs> and, and the thing is, is, I remember Gene used to say, it's the clinger spirit. You know, you got to have that. But the thing is also that the what was so much fun about it is the cast was enjoying uh, what you, the writers would come up with for this guy to get out. It was entertaining for them as well because, I mean, it was the most absurd things that you could think of, you know, em emulating yourself. Yeah, uh, we wrote that one. <laughs> yeah, you know, flying over with a hang glider and... Uh, we had you uh, up on the the yeah, the, 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 the flagpole, you know, that one there. I get comments from all kinds of people about uh, you know how much fun it was for them to uh, to watch it. Yeah, we had you as a, an aluminum siding yes. uh, <laughs> salesman, yeah. which my dad did, so he, he remembered his sales pitch. Right. And uh, yeah, we were looking for different things to do to get you out of those dresses, but you wore some pretty famous dresses along the way, didn't I you? I did indeed. Betty Grable, Alice Faye, uh, Dame May Whitty, and, of course, my favorite, which I tell this story very often, was a Ginger Rogers one. Uh, it was the one that uh, Nurse Kelly, uh, Kelly Nakahara, uh, uh, we were doing a takeoff on Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, and I had that gold lame outfit uh, as Ginger Rogers, and she was dressed, and we, we danced cheek to cheek, you know, with the, some of the famous numbers. And the, uh, the, the night that that show aired... The next day, I was in the commissary. We were starting another episode, and Ginger Rogers was there. Wow. She was doing a love boat for uh -huh. Aaron Spelling. And she saw me, and uh, she came over to me, and she said, Jamie, I saw that show last night where you were wearing one of my dresses. And she said, I want to tell you something. It looked a hell of a lot better on you than it did on me. <laughs> <laughs> Just absolutely wonderful. You did some unique episodes too um talk a little bit about the interview oh that you know people always say what's your favorite show and 
uh, I think Larry was very, very clever. Larry Gelbart, again, I must mm-hmm. use the full name, uh, was very clever with that because he had, uh, it was based on the Edward R. Murrow visit to Korea and the interviews they had. And what he did is he originally took a tape recorder around and interviewed us without a script and just asked us questions. And we answered... In character. In character, Mm -hmm. exactly right. And so uh, later he went back and he made a transcript out of it and then had Cleet Roberts, who was absolutely wonderful, who was also uh, for real part of that group that had been over there interviewing, uh, uh, I think it was Eric Severide and uh, some of the famous Mm -hmm. names at that that time with uh, Edward R. Murrow and... uh, uh, he that when then would add, and we would try to recreate and try to remember. It still wasn't a script; it was still our ad libbing that right. we did. And lo and behold, it was done in black and white. It uh, won the Peabody Award, and uh, to this day, I, you know, how many shows do you can you recall where anybody ever did a show like that? Or how about the show that we did? I think you were with the company that time when the projector breaks down and everybody has to get up and do something. Uh, that was totally ad lib. There was no script on that one. Remember? Do you remember the yeah, script? Yeah, yeah. When they and then finally uh, the wounded come in and we all have to run out. But people got up and just did stuff. I mean, really the, easy for us. We didn't have to do any writing. But to trust, <laughs> to trust your performers. You know. Uh, to trust the egos of these children that you have to deal with. Uh, I found it remarkable and, and so trusting of, of, of our company to, uh, to do that. Well, you guys were, were game for anything. I mean, an episode that David and I wrote that we're so proud of is Point of View. Oh, great. And, uh, you know, you guys really rose to the challenge and you're so used to never looking in the camera. And now all of a sudden you have to look into the camera and relate to the camera as as if he were a person. You guys did a great job. Wasn't thank you. Thank you, Ken. Wasn't that Charlie Dubin? Charlie Dubin directed it, yes. He was one of our regular directors along with High Averback and Alan and Burt Metcalf and several others. Charlie was wonderful. But is that the one where we had to do everything in one uh, uh, take because other people were coming in? Yes. And I got to tell you something. I the one of the most frightening moments I ever had in my career was that script that you you and David wrote because I was the first person that came out that said something and uh, did whatever it is and then left and then was the last person in the scene to come in to say something so if I made a mistake <laughs> at the last part you'd have to do the whole thing over because there were no cuts right it was just done in that one uh, one take that they they did, and uh, uh, boy, I tell you, I was so nervous. I, please, Lord, let me say that correctly and the the way they wanted me to say it, because otherwise, everybody would have to go back and and do the whole thing again. Talk a little bit about the last episode of Mash. A uh, hundred and twenty million people saw that show. And it was such a national phenomenon. What was that like for you? I mean, the the weeks before and the weeks after, uh, what an almost surreal experience that must have been. It was uh, it was uh, it, it, something that you'll never forget, but it's something that you'd like to forget because we were deluged. Uh, PBS, 
radios, magazines. Uh, uh, like you were the Beatles. We were, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. We were, we were literally, if that's, that's a great comparison, the, the Beatles, we, we were so exhausted from talking to uh, news reporters and TV, local TV, uh, uh, all kinds of magazines, Newsweek, uh, Life magazine, uh, everything else. And, and then had to go back and, and you know, go to work to, to shoot it, knowing that this was the very last show. And as you know, uh, uh, the, the, it wasn't goodbye, farewell, and amen that was the last show. It right, was, it's a, an, another episode. It was the yeah. last episode is the we're burying the time capsule. And uh, if you recall, and I think it's on tape someplace, I might have it somewhere, is that there, there was there must have been four hundred people on that set on stage nine, uh, from all kinds of press, TV and everything, and newspapers and magazines that were all there to see the very last shot when Bert Metcalf, who directed that particular episode, said, uh, 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 "Cut! That's a print, print, and that's a wrap." And oh my goodness, we were as you said deluged with all these people that were were on there. And it was very sad uh, because, truthfully, and I, I hope you knew this, that we that cast did love each other. Mm-hmm. They, we loved every single one of them, the, the original people and the people that replaced uh, them because they were very unique. They they loved what they were doing. They loved uh, all the writing that was in the in the scripts, and uh, even with all the doctoring and everything else done, the respect that they had for uh, you as producers and writers and directors and, uh, and what we were trying to do as, as actors to make something work that we would be proud of, uh, as, and which we are now today. You look back on it and you say, hey, you know what? We did all right. We did a good job. But, uh, yeah, it was very difficult to, to have to say goodbye to those people it was also exciting to figure out, well, what's going to happen to me now? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. what happened to you then yeah. <laughs> happened to me, which <laughs> was after MASH. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I make fun of after MASH a, a lot on the podcast and blog because it's something to make fun of. But, you know, looking back, those weren't actually bad shows. And Larry Gelbart created it and was there the first year that was the reason why we signed aboard it's like sandy colfax saying hey kid i'll teach you pitching i agree i that's what happened uh uh to me and harry and and bill and and rosalind chow who was wonderful uh in 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 mash and also in after mash what i had hoped it to be and and what i kept saying to uh larry uh, I, I, you know, I didn't have the credentials that Alan Alda had. I hadn't been on Broadway and, you know, been in uh, hit uh, movies and all kinds of stuff. You were on F Troop. Come on. I was on yeah, F Troop. you were on F Troop. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what, I, what I said is I, I wanted it to be the best years of our lives. And, and what I thought would have been great is if, if we had all wound up like at Schofield Barracks uh, where the, uh, the service people were coming back. And... and uh, uh, what happened was they, they, they uh, when I say they, that be part of your, your guys and that, were, were making the people different, making our characters different. We didn't have the spirit that we did. And I certainly, you know, didn't have the, uh, the, the credentials to say anything about it. But 
I still thought it was a great uh, show and could have been uh, good. Uh, the the balance. What I think happened was that the emphasis went on the new newer characters that they brought in to be our our um, our uh, opponents, you know, and and what we were trying mm-hmm. to do. And I think that emphasis uh, came on on top of them rather than kept us being part of what we should be doing. So, but look, that's hearsay. How many shows? My goodness, uh, that we've all been in. Uh, I, I, I'm sure that uh, wouldn't it be great if we all had great successes <laughs> their whole lives. <laughs> Marlon Brando didn't have great successes uh, all of his life. Uh, Laurence Olivier didn't. There, there are some shows that just didn't work. And you've done a lot of things since, but I'm sure you're recognized to this day. People come up and, yeah. and talk about MASH. Yes, uh, quite frequently. Well, how can you not? I right. mean, it's on MeTV, Sundance uh, TV, WGN. It's on all over. TV the, Land, too. TV yeah. Land, that's uh, right. You're absolutely right. TV Land. Yeah, I check my residuals. Yes, yeah, yeah. the <laughs> marathons, you know, that they have and, and so forth. It, it, it's, a, it, it's a wonderful show. I mean, and I say that with great pride, not because I'm in it, but I, I still enjoy it. Uh, you know, some of the scenes... I, I always tell people, you know, some of the the, the people that were unsung on that. Uh, my character is easy because, uh, you know, he was such a showy guy. But you take Bill Christopher as Father Mulcahy. My goodness, he had such wonderful moments in the, in the, in that show. And oh my goodness, David Ogden Styers, all the highs and lows he hit with that character. And of course, uh, you know, Mike Farrell re- replacing uh, Wayne Rogers and uh, and Alan consistency with all of the new characters that came in uh it, it to me it just was re, just a remarkable replacement that they had uh and and i loved the original mclean stevenson and larry linville uh and uh, uh at, at the same time and and of course wayne but at the same time you you treasure the ones that replaced them because they came in different and added so much again to the show you mentioned uh, watching a, an episode or two. Do you still uh, watch the episodes from time to time? Yes, I do. Uh, in particular, some of the ones that I'm not in. <laughs> because you go, oh, okay, I didn't really pay attention to that one. And that, and, and some of them are just so wonderful. The, the guest actors that, uh, that, uh, that were used on this show, some of them were just terrific. Uh, the scenes that they had. It was so well written, and, and what a compliment to you and David and and to uh, uh, John Rappaport and, and to Thad Mumford and Dan Wilcox and and uh, Jay Fulb and Larry and, and Ronnie Graham. Mm-hmm. Larry was it Balmagia? Larry yeah, Larry Balmagia. Balmagia, mm-hmm. yeah. See, I remember all yeah, of the guys. Yeah, you do. And and they were all wonderful. Dennis, Dennis Kane. Oh my goodness, some of the scripts that he came up with that Tontine one with with harry i mean the brilliance that uh, that that you you kept us on the air you all did you you kept us there and uh and and the reason we went off is because we were all frightened that we couldn't <laughs> duplicate what our the best we did jamie this has really been a treat thank you so much and again it was just such a pleasure working with you those years well, and writing for you, you. and um i'm 
so thrilled to see you again. Well, I am thrilled to be here, and I am also thrilled to be associated uh, with you and, and David and all the wonderful, wonderful people that uh, made that show work. Uh, and uh, we're still in touch. You know, there's only five of us left now. There's Alan and Mike Farrell, Loretta, Gary, and myself. And uh, we, we miss all of the other people. They, they were such great contributors. Uh, and uh, I hope you fell in love with them as much as oh, we did. Oh, absolutely. Harry Morgan and yeah. Bill Christopher and David Ogden Stiers. Uh, you didn't work with McLean. I, I don't didn't work with McLean, but I did work with Larry Linville. Okay, yeah. Larry, yeah. And they, all the others. Oh, yeah. gosh. I, 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 sometimes it's hard for me uh, at my age now. I turned 85. And I'll watch not only our show, and I'll, I'll miss all the people that we mentioned, but I'll be watching, like, uh, on me TV to go to sleep, uh, Hogan's Heroes, let's say. And I worked with all those people. And, you know, Larry Marks, who was our, on our show, did wrote a lot of the shows. Gene Reynolds directed. So I, I worked with Werner uh, Klemper, and, and I worked with uh, John Banner, and I worked with uh, Robert Clary and, and those... And it makes me very sad because a lot of those people, Robert's still with us, but Werner and and uh, Bob Crane. Long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And I say, well, I better turn it off now. I'm starting to get nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. My pleasure. My pleasure, Ken. And I must tell you, the way that Jamie was in that interview, that's the way he is all the time. I mean, he is just a nice, nice guy. Okay, that'll do it for this week. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, and Bruce and Jason Miller. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I don't know why you're not, for God's sakes. Come on, I keep plugging this every week, at Ken Levine. Also, I'm on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine, and I have an email address if you want to get a hold of me. That is HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. Hollywood Levine at Outlook.com. Okay, let's see what else. Subscribe if you haven't, and please give me a five-star review if you haven't. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Hollywood and Levine.